Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today we hear from Alabella Lewis-Smith, founder and MD at Salad Creative, a strategic, creative and digital agency to a wide variety of organisations. Bella co-founded Salad Creative in 2001 and it's gone on to produce incredible work and win multiple awards, something we talk about during the course of our conversation. Salad is also a company known for its ego-free and positive company culture and also looking after its staff through things like well-being programs and team trips to mainland Europe. In line with this approach, Bella, together with her financial director, Andy Brown, recently made the decision to turn Salad Creative into an employee-owned business. This means that 100% of the shareholding has been transferred to an employee ownership trust, also known as an EOT. I'm very interested in this concept of EOTs and was keen to learn more about Bella transitioning the business in this way, what the process really involved and how it's affected both Salad Creative as a company, how it's affected the team and her own role as MD. Bella wrote on her website, the EOT represents the best outcome for me, allowing me to maintain a custodian role and real connection to the business. Salad is fueled by meaningful cultural connections and this collective power of our team. Quite simply, our whole is far greater than the sum of our parts. Now, whether or not you're considering making that transition to an EOT, this is a discussion for anyone thinking about ways to refresh the traditional company structure or considering their exit in one way, shape or form, as well as how to adapt your leadership as your business grows. I really do hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Bella, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hi, Warren. Thanks very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Really excited to have you on the show. We've known each other a little while um, over the years, you know, in the business community within Bournemouth and Ball, and I've seen your business grow. I've seen the transition. It's recently made to an employee ownership trust kind of ownership structure. So really, there's a big part of this conversation that I want to talk to you about, you know, the EOTs, how do they work? what the benefits you've seen but I can't have you on the show Bella without at least touching on something of your story. So you founded Salad back in 2001. That's right yeah. So when you founded Salad you know why what were your motivations and what did you want to achieve? Okay oh where do I start? Um, I uh, my background was fashion but I had fallen in love with a boy from Bournemouth um, and so that's what brought me here. In fact, I came here for a three-week holiday and I've never left. <laughs> <laughs> it does that to you, this place, sometimes. It really does, doesn't it? Um, 
And, you know, sadly for me, Bournemouth wasn't exactly a hotbed of fashion opportunities. Um, So I tried lots and lots of different things. And I think ultimately, you know, and when you're that age, when you're, you're young and you're a recent graduate, you know, you're just trying to, you're just trying to get that first foot on the ladder. Um, and I, and I, th- I guess I can look back now and sort of r- recognise that what I really wanted was a creative career. I wanted okay. to work around creatives. And so as much as I'd done really well in fashion and it was a real passion of mine, um, it was much more about the people and, you know, the sort of uh, process of being in a creative world, being around creative people, mm. I guess that I could say okay. was important to me. That was a real motivation to be in that creative sector and yeah. achieve something within it. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, you know, I absolutely at that time would have loved to have found, you know, the perfect opportunity in Bournemouth yeah. that was fashion-based, but it wasn't there. <laughs> so I, I guess I had, a, uh, I had a few choices and I had, a, I had a, a colleague at the time that was in the same p- position and it was either um, leave Bournemouth and get the job that we wanted, stay in Bournemouth and get a job that wasn't you know, going to yep. tick the boxes, or start something. And he said, I've always fancied running a creative agency. Uh, and I was like, oh, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> and, um, and so we put some money in a pot um, and Salad was born. And uh, we phoned all of our friends. And wow. amazingly, some of them very kindly gave us work. Uh, and I think I can honestly say, hand on heart, I, you know, I learned my craft on the job. You know, mm. I was, I mean, my business partner at the time was definitely much, much more experienced than I was in running a business and undoubtedly a huge mentor to me. Um, so I really did get chucked in at the deep end in terms of learning uh, how to run a business and, and learning the, the world of creative agency, if mm. you like. Um, but fortunately, I can say now we, li- we live to tell the tale. Yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah <laughs> and, and managed to master the craft. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And when you look back, you know, what what were those early days really like within the business? Um, they, oh, what were they like? Um, I suppose for me, um, if I'm talking personally, there was a lot of anguish of feeling yeah. like I really didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So I worked with a lot of people who had um, studied in the area of marketing or advertising or graphic design. And I hadn't, my background was fashion. So um, there was many years of really wrangling and that old classic imposter syndrome. Am I good enough? Yeah. Yeah, Have I got Um, the skills? All of those things we all go through, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm glad to say is actually behind me. And I was Mm. chatting to a colleague about this just this week and and she was sharing it's something that, you know, she, she has... Uh, found challenging Mm. and I realized that it's not something I suffer from anymore but I don't quite know when it stopped you know it's not something that you just turn on and and turn off Um, so I suppose you know that's certainly what I remember in the early days this sort of sense of you know I really need to um, master this craft but it was quite challenging Um, but you know luckily I I managed it Um, and the early days were were us you know, really, it was, it was a lifestyle business. Mm. We, we, you know, we, we said from, the, from day one, we want to do lovely work or great work for lovely clients and enjoy the journey. Yeah. And, you know, that was true then and it's still true now, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, that, that's all I've got to say on that, really. Yeah. So, but the business really did gain momentum, didn't it? It grew in size quite rapidly, as, you know, as I remember, you know. You know, that... That sense of 
value and purpose that you had at the beginning was that able to stay with you on that journey as the business grew and you became more successful yeah i think i think like many small businesses you know that the purpose your values you know they are just inherent in a business you know when you're small you don't really have to ask yourself what are our values no. because they're just there particularly you know? when you're a team of four or five and it's the early days because everyone's brought into it you're immersed in it aren't you it's what as you grow that the danger zone can come isn't it it really is yeah and and i think it's as you grow that you have to sort of keep asking your mm. you know a business has to keep asking itself uh you know why do we exist yeah. you know who are we for what drives us where are we going um, and I suppose one of the most significant turning points for me and for us as a business was in 2014 okay. when I bought my business partner out. Okay. Um, and, you know, I've mentioned we were a lifestyle business and we wanted to do lovely work and work with nice people. Um, and I didn't want to lose that. But what I did want to do at that time was sort of add a new layer of, of ambition on top. Okay. Um, so at that time, uh, probably probably bought in the first consultant that yeah. I worked with um, and put a business plan together, our first business plan, yeah. and sort of put, you know, put a vision in place of where we were going. And that undoubtedly was about growth. Okay. Um, and part of that growth, I think, the, or the ultimate aim of that growth was to sell. Mm. Um, and, and sort of, you know, leading on to the EOT point, I think what was interesting about that was whilst we put that in place as an ambition of where we were going, um, my brilliant colleague and uh, co-director Andy Brown, who's our yeah. FD, who you know. Yeah, great um, guy. Yeah, well, we reviewed that sort of that direction of travel in 2019, and we we realised actually we're not sure how much we want this, you know, because okay. we certainly weren't, uh, you know, ruthless in our pursuit mm. of this goal. And I think it very much comes back to that um, wanting to enjoy the journey yeah. um, aspect. Uh, so we had grown, we were on the, on the, on the path, yeah. um, but perhaps a little behind schedule <laughs> for when you put these things in place. Yeah. I mean, as we know, it's a, it's a rocky ro road and you can have, uh, you know, great times and, and yeah. difficult times running a business. Um, and we're no different to anybody else in that respect. Um, but it was then that he said, oh, I've heard of something called an EOT. Okay. Uh, it's this thing. And, blah, blah, blah. and, um, and I thought, Hmm, that's interesting. Let's have a little bit, you know, let's yes. look, look into a bit more detail. Uh, and we went and saw uh, an expert in the field, a chap called Chris Budd, okay. uh, who runs the Eternal Business Programme. He's a yeah. specialist in, uh, in sort of helping businesses transition to EOT. Um, and he said to us, you know, uh, he said, you, you should expect it to take anywhere between two and five years mm. uh, to make that transition. We were like, wow, that sounds wow. like a long time. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. but, um, but I understand why he was saying that. And we, we started his programme, which was excellent. Mm. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, you know, that is That's what happened to us. Mean. Yeah. So it's interesting because you started, the, you co-founded the business. You had a business partner who, you know, clearly was somebody you respected and was a mentor. You went and had this period of owning the business yourself before transitioning to a sort of employee-owned. Can you remember what it felt like to go from sort of jointly owning the business to it being all yours? And was that all highs or were there some lows in that part of the journey, do you think? Um, that is a really good question. I think, I think before I... Um before I bought 
um, Ian out, okay. who's my former business partner. Um, one of the things that happened was um, he'd been MD before that, and he'd said, I want to go and start another business. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Totally uh, understand that and, 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 and respect it. Um, and he said, do you want to be MD? And I thought about it. And I came back and said, actually, I don't. I'd like us to get a new MD because okay. I, I I want a new mentor. You know, I want a new person who I can learn from. You know, I'm, I'm hungry for more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and so we looked, we looked and looked, and we, we came close to employing a few people, but actually okay. we didn't find the right person. Yeah. So it sort of landed in my lap, landed okay. back in my lap. And I think that was the point for me that was like the big you know, like gulp moment yeah. of, right, okay, well, now this is my responsibility. Um, and so whilst I still owned joint or co-owned the business, and I was a minority shareholder, um, I uh, that was that moment where I was like, right, you know, big, deep breath, yeah. okay, now I've got to sort of step into some big shoes. And uh, and, I, and I ran the business for, uh, I don't know, a year or, or two, uh, in, in you know, before I, the buyout happened. Um, and I think, you know, and it was a great, it was a great, you know, mm. first year. We won some awards, we grew, we won some great clients. Yeah. It was a, it was, so I think that was my moment of kind of, you know, can I do this yeah. really? And I can. And I can, <laughs> phew. So, so actually when that transition happened to um, majority ownership and I, and I, you know, in that transition, um, I wasn't hundred percent owner. There was yeah. um, Andy who was also okay. a minority owner. Um, uh, you know that didn't. You know it was it was scary. There was money involved. Yeah. You know it was like okay, well, it's it's all on my watch now, yeah. so to speak. But um, I don't. It, the more significant memory is actually kind of taking on the role of MD okay. and having that pressure of right now. I've got to do this. This is it. This yeah. is on my shoulders. The backpack of responsibility is firmly on with me. <laughs> uh, what well, I always kind of admired and we've touched on it during the course of the conversation, is that sense of value and purpose that the business always had. Do you think that's because you're a value principle purpose-led person, or do you think it's something that just was in the business and the team embraced as well? I think when an individual has a, you know, has an inherent set of personal values, as yeah. we all do, yeah. and you're a leader in a business, um, it's pretty common to then employ people that either complement those or embody mm, those, yeah. and particularly in a small business. So I think that's certainly what happened in the early days. Um, we actually did a piece of work in 2019 um, to review our purpose. Okay. Um, and um, it was really interesting. That it was, it, was, it was something that was led by Harry, who's our strategy and creative director, absolutely brilliant mind and he started with doing um, a series of interviews with the team and what came back was an overwhelming overwhelmingly positive focus on people team and culture okay. um, and it was actually one of the first responses of everybody in the business that this is what they saw okay. was special yeah. about what we were um, and some of the other things that came back were, you know, like this sense of a culture of care, that there weren't any egos in the business, lots of transparency. We had a very respectful culture um, and that we were a business that sort of had good morals, if you yeah, like, okay. you know, yeah. good, good people uh, wanting to do good and be good in the yeah. world. Which does reflect back to that very initial kind of set of ideals for the business. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, and I think one of the great things about growing as a person and growing as a business is that sense of sort of understanding yourself deeper, mm. you know, and recognising, yeah. oh, yeah, no, this is what makes me tick, yeah. you know, or this is what makes us tick. Um, and so that, and, you know, actually one of the, one of the outcomes of that piece of work, one of the main outcomes, was this um, defining phrase of collective power oh, that kind okay. of embodied who we were and what was special Love about that. salad. Collective power. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a collective power as a team with our clients, yeah. with our suppliers. It's like the, the you know the sum of our parts is greater, and all Definitely. of that. I always get that phrase wrong, um, but um, the the sense that you know together we can deliver incredible things. Yeah. But I also think what was really lovely about transitioning to employee ownership, it was like the ultimate kind of realisation of that collective power. And now we really are all about collective power because we're employee owned. Yeah. And that happened in April 2021? That's right. Yeah. So about a year and a half ago. About a year and a half ago. So that's really, yeah. And the process itself, you, you talked about perhaps starting this process in 2019, it being a two to five year process. You kind of probably hit that two-year kind of mark. You know, if somebody's a business leader and they're thinking they've heard of, you know, employee ownership trusts and they're thinking this is might be something they could do, um, you know, what hints and tips would you give about the actual process itself? Um, I think there's two parts to the process. The first is uh, technical. You know, there's no winging it to become an EOT. You have to go through a very... Um, uh, right and proper legal yeah. accounting kind of process to, to essentially you're selling the business yeah. you know you're selling the, you're, you're setting up a trust and selling the business to the trust um, so that is something that is you know um, yeah it, it, well it is what it is in those sort of yeah. things it's you know it's, you've got to have lawyers and accountants involved and they work in a certain way so it's very technical lots about governance and sort of setting things up in the right way yeah. um, and we that took us about I think it took us about four months to go through that process. Um, But the second is cultural. And whilst, you know, technically you have to do, you know, the legal and accounting bit, there's no no getting away from that. The cultural piece, there there aren't any rules around that. So that is optional. Now, I believe that... Uh, you know, to 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 do that process in in the right sort of spirit of employee ownership, um, that you need to, or there's a huge benefit to consulting with Absolutely, the team. Because yeah. otherwise, it's just a structure and a sound and you know, maybe some tax benefits. But you, the legal bits, the quick bit, I'd imagine, kind of in a way, it must be the two to five year advice that you had, which, I'm, which is wonderful to hear, is about getting it right for the team and them embracing it and learning what it means and what you expect from them surely absolutely and don't get me wrong I don't love that legal bit so it wasn't easy <laughs> for me you know reading all, reading all that legalese is not my happy place um, but yes so I think we uh, we probably sort of started to do that preparation about two years before and then uh, about a year before the actual transaction happened, we shared the we shared the news okay. and it, the information so with the team. you did your prep as a sort of leadership, senior leadership director team. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're planning. That took about a year, and then you started the sort of engagement piece. Yeah, and I don't think that year was intensive. You know, no. that initial year. But you know, once we started the engagement piece with the team, 
Um, you know, it was, it, it was, I think, um, you know, so, some of the team have shared to me that it was, it was quite a shock to them to hear me say, I'd like to do, do this thing, because ultimately I'm thinking about my future and yeah. it, it might not be full time at Salad Forever. Yeah. Um, and so many people, perhaps externally and inter- internally, have associated me so strongly with Salad mm. um, that that was a surprise. Um, And so we we, there was definitely a period where, you know, we're sharing the news and then we wanted to capture people, capture the team sort of questions, any fears, any concerns that they have. You know, it's very natural for an individual to say, well, what does this mean for me? You know, and so we needed to understand what their concerns were so that we could, um, well, recognize those um, and, uh, you know, share any information that would help those. Because ultimately you're sharing with them that you have a view that at some point in the future you're going to exit you know that's yes. you know and i suppose just sat here listening to you now i i can imagine it is completely different to what may typically happen which is a trade buyer comes along you're doing all of that in the background you do the deal morning after the deal's done the night before you walk through the door and you tell them and there's shock and there's awe and there's all of that but they, they then go through a kind of change curve process and probably accept it and move on. What you were saying was, well, we there is an exit, but it's not going to happen now, and you're going to be part of it. But that does in itself breed some uncertainty, doesn't it? Is it when you do the trade sale, it's like bang, there's clarity immediately. There's clarity. There's no choice. There's no, no you know, there's no consultation. You know, and um, I think one of the reasons that we decided to go down the EOT route one of the you know the two big challenges and I suppose benefits for us were that um, I think it's the best way to protect that culture that is so important to us and to me and to the team and you know that trade sale you've just you described there that more often than not kills culture Mm. you know and sometimes that can be detrimental to business not always by any stretch Um, but secondly from a personal point of view and, and a business point of view as well I saw it as the best way to have a very open honest and gradual succession plan yeah so it's something that i can share you know it's you know i you know i've said to you i i love i love salad i absolutely <laughs> love this business i'm so passionate about it you know the people who i work with including clients the work that we deliver like i love it i love yeah. my job um and so i um you know so it's, so it's not like i'm sort of um you know I just want to get out as quickly as I possibly yeah. can. I want to do the best by by salad as as I can in this process. You know, I will give I will give it what it needs of me. Mm. And right now, it definitely needs me. Yeah. You know, um, but it must have taken a while, better for the team to actually believe that and and understand that you weren't going somewhere instantly. But this was a transitional thing, and it was part of the journey and part of the story. And, I can absolutely see how it aligns with your values and, and everything you'd want for the business and, and the succession and that, you know, sort of, you know, exists at some point, number of years perhaps away without you in it. But I suppose, yeah, I suppose it's that reality of at what point did they start to really believe that they, the words that you were saying were the words that you meant. I guess that's a very gradual thing. And it, and I would say that even works for me too. Because, yeah. you know, when you make a decision to do something as big as yeah. sell your business that you've put 20 years, yeah. you know, blood, sweat and tears into, 
actually, you don't know as an individual how you're going to feel on the other side. No. You know, and I think one of the interesting things is, you know, when you own a business, um, I mean, this isn't technically true, but I, I really feel it. You know, you can't leave. You know, it's on your shoulders. This is your responsibility. Yeah. It's your baby. You can't walk out the door. You no. know, if, if things are tough, it's on you to sort it out. Now, actually, when you're an employee as I am now, <laughs> technically, I can leave, yeah. you know. Now, that doesn't mean I want to, <laughs> no. but um, but it is a very, that's one, I suppose, I hadn't really thought of that, but that is quite a different feeling yeah. of, like, there is a sort of, there is a, a freedom, I suppose, that comes yeah. with that. Um, but, you know, that, that sense of um, the team knowing that, you know, what I'm saying is true, or even me knowing that actually, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all in, I'm not going yeah. anywhere. Uh, that kind of can only reveal itself over time. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And so what, you know, what, I suppose affects, you know, what, how the employees change now they're part of the ownership structure and the EOTs in place? Um, it's, I think what's interesting is, you know, we've always had a very engaged team. Yeah. So, you know, has it brought about more engagement? I think it has, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's more around how the business is run, mm. you know? So I think people have probably been much more focused on the work that they're delivering for our clients, the effect, you know, the effectiveness of that work. Um, whereas now there's a sort of new, um, transparent kind of window mm. to the business where people are able to ask more questions you know yeah. they're involved in more decisions so you know sometimes those decisions are tough decisions yeah. you know sometimes they're nice ones like yeah. recently we, we 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 went to Copenhagen for a lovely okay. team jolly you now for your staff party yes <laughs> <laughs> but you know that whereas before where we've done it that's been a decision taken by board here's yeah. the budget we're going to do this thing you know hey everybody we're going to go to you yeah. know go, go on a, a, a nice uh, a holiday abroad whereas this time it's like well do we want to do this as a team mm. and we're going to spend this amount of money this is your money you're spending are you happy to sign this off so it's a whole yeah. new kind of different approach and I don't think every EOT will work in that way no. but look we're a small business and it really works for us yeah. to kind of have that level of transparency but that's part of the purpose isn't it is of an EOT is to get that ownership in get that retention of people in and all of that. And do you think, because, you know, we're sat here now, you know, in a very competitive employment market where it's hard to find people. And when you find them, it can be hard to retain them. Do you think this structure is benefiting you in terms of finding new people to bring on board? And is it helping retention? We have only hired one person since we've become an EOT. Okay. And actually, what was lovely about that person is their feedback to us was, uh, I've I've known about salad for years, and I've always wanted to work for you. So it was okay. it was our brand that was the strength. It was the for history, that, and, yeah, yeah the legacy and the work of what that we do. Are, you know, you are, um, yeah. so in that particular instance, it didn't make a difference. Okay. So I've only got one example, okay. um, and you know, touch wood, I would say yes. I think it. You know, any business is going to help with retention as long as you know you are you are delivering. Um, a sort of style of employee ownership that is genuinely inclusive, mm. transparent, you know, yeah. uh, and and that there are obvious benefits yeah. to people rather than a sort of box-ticking exercise of we're employee-owned, but actually nothing's really changed. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's some poor examples of those within the country, isn't there? I yeah. Mean, and I, I think there's a risk there that that's going to spoil it for everybody because I think there's some advisors, unfortunately, out there peddling them as tax schemes, effectively, you know, 
sell your business, pay no tax, and off you go, nothing changes. And clearly that's wrong. And I think if, if what happ- you know, happens is that the government get wind of that, or the Treasury get wind of that, and they take away some of the benefits, then I think there's a whole raft of businesses like yours that do it for the right reasons, to see it as part of the transition, to preserve some legacy in the business and the brand, and transcend ownership that will miss out. Yeah, statistically, employee-owned businesses perform better. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a brilliant um, uh, organisation called the Employee Ownership Association okay. who exists to uh, support businesses who are transitioning and have transitioned to employee ownership. And I think when we first started looking into it, there was about there was only 600 businesses that were EOTs in the country. And that's now well probably more than doubled yeah in that time and yes you're hearing all the time about businesses that are going employee owned and i i'd like to think that in the main the majority are doing it for the right reasons yeah. certainly you know i see and what's great about the eoa is that they, you're able to interact and network with other employee owned businesses and mm, okay. um and you know you see some incredible examples yeah. of great employee owned businesses and and i mean one of the things that's really interesting um, and challenging about being employee-owned is there's no rule book. You know, yeah. beyond that sort of governance piece yes. and um, you know the, t- the technicalities of becoming yeah. employee-owned, uh, culturally there's no rule book. No. Um, so we're all making it up as we go along, <laughs> yeah. which is which is it's it's kind of great because you can adapt it to your own culture and your yeah. own business. But it's also really challenging because everyone's scratching their head going, oh, should we do it like this? Should yeah. we do it like that? How do we communicate? You know, what do we get people involved yeah. in, in decisions? Is this a leadership de- decision, a director decision, or is this an everybody decision? It must, yeah. Absolutely. But, and I suppose you can only, as you go along the journey, it's how you establish it, isn't it? And that's how you work it out. And we certainly, you know, when we made that transition in April last year, um, we... We said to ourselves, we want to, you know, one of our main focuses of the coming year is embedding employee ownership. So we were asking ourselves at every board meeting, every uh, team meeting, you know, how are we doing here? You know, are we doing okay? And it was actually really nice to get to the end of that year and go, we're doing okay. We don't have to keep asking ourselves this question. It doesn't mean we don't have to continue to sort of focus on being the best version of an employee-owned business that we can. But I think we have succeeded in in embedding, um, you know, that that, that new sort of ownership structure. So, I suppose being a control freak myself, I need to ask you this question. <laughs> Obviously, you went through that period from 2014 to 2021 where it was your show. Ultimately, you had a board, but it, they were your decisions. Now you're still in the business, you're still MD, and you're being having to be more consultative in your decisions. How are you finding that transition, Bella? Um... I think, in the main, my style of leadership... Some people may question this, I don't know. But in the main, my style of leadership is pretty democratic. Okay. So we already had a very democratic culture. Now, that has definitely elevated. Yeah. Um, but because it's kind of in me as a person, it hasn't been too painful. Okay. Um, now, you're right. I no longer have the final say, yeah. you know, but I am still MD, so yeah. I still have the responsibility. You have influence yeah, absolutely, influence. huge influence, you know. That's you know, but I, you know, if I if I take a decision that's a, a significant decision, or we as a, the salad board take a decision, a strategic decision, then we would have to get that signed off by the trust board. Mm. Um, 
And we have a, a brilliant um, external trustee, a chap called Paul Cartwright, a very okay. a sort of seasoned board member, chairman type okay. person. And I would say that he's very, very good at what he does, but he doesn't make my life easy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that's one of the sort of biggest um, uh, changes is yeah. that I'm dealing with somebody now who really holds me to account. Yeah. But actually, as much as there will be some days that I'm absolutely cursing him and, you know, yeah. he knows this, I, we, 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 we chuckle about it between ourselves, you know, uh, I kind of enjoy the process of learning, of working in this new way, because I haven't had that for a long time. No. And you did say, you're 2013, 14, that's what you're looking for and you've potentially missed it. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, before he was our external trustee, he was my mentor. So he okay. did know Salad, um, and I got him through doormen uh, or Dorset business mentors, yeah. and I think he was chairman there. Uh, and okay. I met him at a lunch one day, and he was like, "Oh, you should get a mentor." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds interesting. I'll apply." And then, lo and behold, he was—he he was on up. offer, which was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And again, even as a mentor, he wasn't easy. So yeah. I didn't—I didn't expect to go into this saying, "Oh, great, Paul's going to give me an easy yeah. ride," and he certainly doesn't. Um, but that's in the best interest of the business, yeah. um, and. So I'm, I'm happy for, for it. But that's also a learning curve yeah. for me. It's like, okay, I've got to deal with someone who's like, yeah. he's busting my balls. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, I've got okay. To now. Yeah. I've got to deliver. <laughs> Absolutely. And commercially, how have your clients reacted to you becoming a EOT? Um, they've been very supportive. I think they, uh, you know, when we made the announcement and we, we made sure we let them know before we sort yeah. of announced it to the world. We had a lot of really positive responses about um, how they could see it was a great fit for us mm. um, and very supportive. And I think as, um, you know, as, as time has gone on, we are now increasingly talking to businesses that are thinking about transitioning to employee okay. ownership. So we've yeah. definitely found that in conversation. So it's been a real pleasure to be able yeah. to share our story uh, and offer any insights or tips that yeah. we can. Um, but no, I think it's been overwhelmingly supportive in, uh, in the way our clients have uh, responded. Brilliant. And from an ownership team and culture perspective, where would you like to see Salad in, say, five years' time? Um, I think culturally, my expectation is that Salad is going to still be as sort of beautiful as ever in five <laughs> years' time. I, I, I'm really confident i am going to touch wood saying that but i am really confident that that's so such a strong and inherent hmm. part of the business that that's going it's to the be the reason retained. you did it if nothing yeah. else it it? It, yeah it really is um so you know i'd like us to to continue to deliver on our mission of delivering beautifully effective solutions for better businesses um and what i've found, what we're finding recently and i hope that we can to continue in this vein is that we're working with more and more businesses who really value their employees. So they don't have to be employee-owned, um, but you know, people are our greatest assets, aren't they? And Definitely. those businesses that recognise that, um, I think are those that we often do the best work for. Yeah. Um, and I guess finally, um, you know, in five years' time, I hope that I have a different job title, okay. you know, um, and that I, I mean, I, I very much hope I'll still be involved in salad. You know, Brilliant. there's a there's a real possibility that I will be part of salad for the rest of my life, yeah. you know, and I welcome that. Um, but I like the idea of um, my role having tr transitioned to something else and ideally that being a combination yeah. of salad and perhaps some other projects and, and possibly something to do with EOTs. Maybe it'll be a hands on chair role. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Watch this space. Um, 
One kind of area that we haven't touched on, it's been great, thank you for your honesty in talking about the Employee Ownership Trust, is you have, and you, you mentioned it earlier, you, as an organisation and as a business, you've won a number of awards, you know, industry, local awards, industry awards. Um, and I just wanted to touch on that with you just to see, clearly it's something that's been important to the business. And I just thought I'd ask you, because there's always sometimes this, it's something we did at Inspire and got great benefit from doing in a number of different ways. And, but there's a lot of people that are hesitant to enter awards. And I just wanted to ask you your perspective on awards and what benefits you've seen from both entering and then you know, winning on occasion some of those awards. Um, I perhaps was like some of those people you've described for many years, really sceptical yeah. about awards and thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be awards for people's mates. Or, you know, I was, I, that was my, in the early years, I definitely sort of felt like um, I, I really didn't buy into the sort of awards thing. But um, I guess it was probably around 2014 when, um, we, uh, you know, I, I bought Ian out and we made that those changes that uh, it was like, OK, no, let, let's let's go for it. Let's apply for, for some awards. Um, and and we went on to win, mm. which was amazing. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and of course, that completely changed my mind about awards. Um, but what I would say is... Um, I think what they do is they they add credibility, you know, yeah. they they show to prospective clients and your clients uh, that what you're doing really is, um, uh, you know, the very highest quality work and you're really deliver, delivering effectively for, for your clients. Um, but the other thing that uh, you mustn't underestimate, and that's how much the team mm, benefit that's the bit we saw yeah from that sense of yes we've we've done this work yeah. and it's been considered best in class yeah. and that is a huge huge boost um so yes i'm you know i am a, i am a believer in awards now and I, and we go up and down in terms of you know um we don't mm. necessarily enter every year it, it takes a lot of resources yeah. um and um but it no i think they're really really valuable um, particularly, actually, for the team. Yes, the bit we saw was always for the team. The bit that I think is is great that, that those that enter awards always have an expectation that they're doing well. So I think the other piece that I always didn't realise until we started entering them was that comparison against your peers. And some mm. of the years we didn't win were some of the years that we then looked inwardly and said, OK, what aren't we doing? If we, we want to be best. We want to operate in the best way we can and be at the forefront, what aren't we doing that we should be doing? So I think there was some, a number of lessons learned when we didn't win, as well as some of those joys when we did. So I always, it's been a great conversation, but I really enjoyed it. I always end the podcast with the same question, which is, what does success mean to you? What's your definition of personal success? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't know you always ended the podcast with this. I would have prepared for it otherwise. <laughs> well, let's see what you make of it off, off the, the cuff. cuff. <laughs> Um, success for me is, um, it's all about people, actually. Mm. It's about being around great people. And um, that's the thing that drives me. And again, I mentioned it earlier. It's the thing I've kind of, you, one of the great things about getting older is kind of learning about yourself. And I have realized that the thing that makes me tick is relationships. And I, I value so much living in this place working with the people that I do. The people who are around me are incredible at what they do. Um, you know, I am not an expert at anything other than choosing experts. Yeah. Um, and so in, terms of, so in terms of my work success, it's around being around amazing people. And then likewise, I think in my personal life, 
It's yeah. about having a great network of friends who are around me who, you know, I find stimulating and inspiring. Um, and that's, that's what I... That's what I want to spend my, my time doing as I get older. Brilliant. Well, that was a great off-the-cuff answer, see? <laughs> so, thank you for being a great guest. If people want to know more about you, about Salad, where can they go? Visit our website, saladcreative.com, um, or just get in touch. I mean, yeah. I know, I, I always love having conversations, and whether that's about, um, you know, what we do and what we offer or just running a business or sometimes about, about being a woman in business or whether mm. somebody's thinking about or a business is thinking about transitioning to an EOT, always happy to have a conversation and share any uh, insights that I'm able to. Brilliant. Thank you for being a wonderful guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thanks so much, Warren. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.